We are in our just third week of a series called Building Your Abundant Life. It's based on the Sermon on the Mount, but we started with the end in mind. We cheated a little bit, and we went to the very end where we see Jesus' call to action after he gives what is Many would consider the greatest visionary manifesto for life the world has ever seen in in one sitting, in one hearing. He doesn't just finish. He closes with a very particular call to action where he says, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built their house on the rock. All of those verbs, nouns, pronouns are in the singular. In other words, Jesus is calling you as an individual, personal responsibility before God to respond to him and build your life. And so it's incredibly important that we begin with the end in mind. And in fact, the whole way through as we hear Jesus set forth What I said last week was really a creation event, Jesus being the the logos of God, the very word of God. And just in the same way it says in the beginning of the Bible that in the beginning God spoke and he spoke creation into existence. He brought good order into the chaos that was before him. Similarly, Jesus spoke at the very beginning of his ministry with intention to create a new life that's possible, to create a new way of life. The kingdom of heaven is what he calls it. So it's this creation event, a vision for life that is possible. We're going to see that over and over. Even though the ideals are so high, they are not meant to be unattainable ideals. They are meant to be what is possible with God. And we see that confirmed because at the very end, His call to action confirms that all of what he says with God's grace and presence is possible. He calls us to hear it, put it into practice, and build our life on this rock of the kingdom of heaven. And so everything we hear in the next many weeks of the Sermon on the Mount, let's keep in mind These are not impossible ideals. This is the life that's possible with God. And we are invited to receive it and move towards it for the rest of our life. It's not something that, yeah, we believe it and next week it's ours. No. It's for the rest of our life. These are, this is the heavenly vision, the kingdom of heaven, the Christ-like life that we have the privilege to move towards in partnership with, with God to build our life on this rock. And so let's get into it today. We actually get to see the very first words of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus spoke. We'll back up into chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. When he had sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying... 
before we hear these first words that he said, I want to ask us a question. To try to be as, as utterly honest with yourself as possible. What is the, the true and real conception of God, understanding of God that is painted on the, the canvas of your heart and soul? We all carry something, for better or for worse, because sometimes life has been hard. We may have had bad leaders or bad examples or bad circumstances that have kind of painted the, our picture of God in a way that's not true and negative. Deep down for all of us, and that's where I'm challenging us to try to be deep down here, but beneath the, the mental ascents or the professed beliefs, there's, a, I believe, a deeper sense for all of us. We carry something in our heart, mind, and spirit of what, of what we really deep down actually believe to be real about God. Take, for example, this notion, is God good? Well, if it's a test before us of our beliefs, we're all, oh, yes, check, question the box, or, you know, check, check that box. Of course, God's good. But I'm talking about that deep moment when, when tragedy strikes. What do you actually know to be 100% real about God? Is he good? Or is he, is he far away? Is he aloof? Is he maybe uninterested? Does he bring bad things into our life? Does he care about you as a beloved child that he provides for, like a perfect heavenly father? You know it. You know what you actually really deeply believe when the storms of life come. And that's what Jesus is going to go after. It's... It's what I like to kind of call that, that, that canvas of your soul. What's actually our, our conception of God, what we really deeply believe, what's painted on our soul. And so in many ways, as Jesus speaks here at the opening of the Sermon on the Mount, it is a creation event where he's going to set forth a vision for life that the world has never seen. He's trying to create for us the possibility of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven in our life. But I also like to imagine him as the painter who wants to paint and repaint on the canvas of our soul that very deep question of who is God? What is God like actually how does God want to be known by you? And so as we begin the actual words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is about to say just might be the most important thing you ever hear. They are the beginning of creation, so to speak. They are the beginning of Jesus' invitation into the kingdom of heaven. So as you hear these words and ponder them, can you dare, can you dare to let the Holy Spirit paint and repaint the canvas of your soul's 
concept of God. In a practical way, can, can you allow yourself a childlike posture where in a sense you imagine that you've never heard anything of God before, never heard anything good or bad, positive or negative about God. You're a blank canvas and you are saying, Holy Spirit, paint the canvas of my heart with the truth of who you are. The good news that Jesus is bringing. With that in mind, let's hear these words of Jesus for the first time. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. There is one united theme to open this creation event of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed. Nine times, not unintentionally, nine pronouncements of blessing. Jesus is, these are presented as Matthew as this is his magnum opus. This is the first time we have heard any content of what Jesus preaches and shares with the crowds other than Matthew's summary, which is that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what does that mean? Well, here it is for the first time in detail, and Jesus pronounces nine blessings upon those who hear. We can't take that for granted. It flows perfectly with the, the prophetic word that Don brought this morning. God's heart is blessing, not condemnation. Grace upon grace upon grace. A blessing is a pronouncement of grace. What is a blessing? I just said, it's a pronouncement of grace, God's undeserved goodness in our lives. But more technically, the word itself means a joyful or joyful because of divine favor. There's two parts, two senses. Joyful because of divine favor. Now, some translations of the Bible will give you the word happy. That's not a bad translation, 
that word has just become something in our world that it's not in the Bible's sense. In our times, it's become something very trivial, shallow, whimsical, impulsive, fleeting. It's become very consumeristic, just you know, happy, happy, happy. Always be happy. How do you be happy? Well, I don't know. Just, just, just go through the drive-thru and get a donut. I'm happy when I eat a donut. I could be stressed, but oh, now I'm happy. It's very shallow. It's very trivial. It's very fleeting. It's not from a deep source, a living water well inside of you. Jesus is trying to offer something much deeper and more profound than our current iteration of happiness. He's going to get very real about how the storms of life are coming. They are going to beat against you in every way they possibly can to try to destroy you and make you crash. Donut happy is not going to get it done in those moments. It's got to go much deeper than that. And that's what Jesus is going to go after. And so I choose to translate makarios, the Greek word, is not as happy because that's just confusing to us. Something much closer to what the biblical listener and reader would envision is what today is our sense of a deep source of joy. And then along with this sense of joy, you have the notion of divine favor. What is that? It's an unbelievable truth. It's so simple, but it's the astonishing idea. And again, let the canvas of your heart be painted and repainted. This is where, if you've been in church for a while, you've got to be childlike. You can't let familiarity be like, oh, been there, done that. Well, you're not Jesus yet, so no, you haven't. It's an utterly simple concept that God is present and active and involved in your life. That's an earth-shatteringly good idea. That God is with you. He is for you, not against you. He is doing something graciously good in your life. You are a favored one. And you know it and experience it to to the degree that it gives you joy. Joy that can withstand whatever storm of life comes your way. If we experience this alone, (laughs) our life will be dramatically transformed. Let's back up a little bit and study this word, this concept of blessing in the Bible. It's so interesting that that is how Jesus chooses to begin the most important things he ever says. His magnum opus, his sermon on the mount, his vision of the kingdom of God that is possible. The gospel begins with blessing, blessing, blessing. Nine times. And we can see that this is the heart of God for humanity. Way back into the creation event itself in Genesis 1. It says in verse 27, when God created humanity in his own image, 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then what did God do? God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is so significant. It's so easy to pass right over because of familiarity. The very first thing that God does after the creation of humanity is bless them. That blessing is the divine pronouncement of approval and favor. Approval and favor. That God has created them in his image. That's <laughs> an unbelievably profound and important concept in the image of God, male and female, he created humanity. No other creator, creation, created thing has that honor. To be created in the image of God and to have that capacity for relationship with God and transformation to partake in his nature and become like him as we see all over the New Testament. So he bestowed upon them this blessing of being created in, in his image and, now, and chose them to represent him. Now, being created in his image, we get blessed. We have the divine favor to now be fruitful, multiply, go fill the earth with that glory of the image of God. This is a massive amount of divine favor, undeserved goodness, and God's empowering presence. Humanity didn't do anything here to deserve any of this. It's blessing. It's favor. Undeserved goodness and God's power with us. And one could argue that even at these earliest moments of the Bible, you see this through this pronouncement of blessing a very parental relationship between God and humanity that Jesus just explodes exponentially, but it's right here. After all, isn't blessing what good parents do? They bless their children. They lavish undeserved goodness upon them and thus demonstrate the heart of God. Sacrificial, undeserved goodness over and over and over. You even see this blessing mindset in the earliest of the, the patriarchs in the Bible, the earliest heroes, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They all close their lives by doing what? Blessing their children. Passing on blessing upon blessing to their children. It is a parental declaration of approval and favor. So it is with God from the beginning. That is his heart for humanity in creation. And as we journey forward in the story of the Bible, we can see that heart of blessing expanded in the covenant relationship that God has with the people of Israel. 
the sense of blessing continued and increased. One of the most famous pronouncements of blessing in the Bible comes from the lips of the high priest, Aaron, who mediates God's heart to the people. Many of you have probably said this blessing to one another or heard it in a church service. But once again, we can't let familiarity breed complacency. To build your life on this kind of rock-solid truth will change it forever. Number six, 22 to 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, who was the high priest of the people, and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, so this is God's idea of blessing, you shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. I mean, that's just, just, there is, that's, there's the Beatitudes. There's the opening of the Sermon on the Mount. How does God want to be known? Who is God? And how does God want to be known? Here is his heart. The very beginning, what he wants you to know is God is with you to bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. That is a picture of revelation and intimacy. To see God, that's experiential encounter. God wants you to know him. An experiential encounter. He wants you to see his face. He blesses you with that. May his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. It's grace, not condemnation. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put, this is Aaron and his sons, they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. The one behind this foundational blessing, this identity of God, what is what forms the people of Israel in their identity? What forms you in your identity? When you wake up in the morning, what is the foundational canvas of your heart formed by? Is it blessing or curse? Are you afraid of God? Are you uncertain and insecure, feeling like God's an angry taskmaster and you have to perform today to earn his love? That's not blessing. God wants the foundational identity of his people, of you and of me, to be formed right here. May the Lord bless you today. That's God's idea that Aaron would regularly speak this blessing over the people of Israel to help them remember who they are, to help them remember that God has initiated relationship to help them take joy in the divine favor that is upon them. That's blessing. Joy in the divine favor. <sighs> Talk about painting the canvas of our heart. 
if we could truly slowly slow down and deeply experience even a portion of these glorious truths of who God is and how God wants to be known, it would elevate us. It would lift us up to live at an unbelievably higher level than what we thought was possible. And that is what Jesus is going after. That is exactly why Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, standing in this long tradition of biblical blessing in both creation and covenant relationship, and he just takes it to a higher level. He opens his mouth and begins his own act of creation of the kingdom of God on earth with a pronouncement of nine blessings, blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. That's God's heart for you when you wake up every morning. If we could encounter nothing else of the Sermon on the Mount, this right here is enough to radically alter our life. If we allow ourselves to be childlike and say, Holy Spirit, paint and repaint the canvas of my heart, my conception of God with this right here, that God wants to be known as the one who enters into my life, not because I deserve it or I've earned it or I've been good enough, but because he's good enough. And he has that agape love that just pours out undeserved blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing to the point that he wants me to take joy in this ridiculous divine favor, 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 you are a favored one. You have his eye and you are favored. I mean, that's a weird word, right? It's really close to a word in our English language that I like a lot. It's called favorite. And I think that's a healthy description of who you are. A favored one, a favorite. You know, people who lived in the land of somewhere, they're the ites, the Jebusites, the who knows what a sites, the Berusasites. You are a favorite. You live in the land of blessing of God. You are a favored one. And you're going to have to do everything you can and join with the forces of hell to run away from that identity. Jesus over and over nine times says, you are a favorite, a favorite. The kingdom of heaven is the land of blessing, and you're in it unless you run away from it. I remember that word favorite from 25 years ago when I read Brother Lawrence's captivating book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And I know many of you have heard this before, but some need to hear it again, and some are new and need to know this favorite concept. You live in the land of favor. You are a favored one. That's the beginning of the gospel. So this is a guy who's 300, 400 years ago, he has this radical encounter with God in the, in the winter, the frozen forest in a winter and he's looking at a tree <laughs> he's looking at a tree and and he's overwhelmed by the glory of God in creation and he falls to his knees he becomes poor in spirit 
at the awe-inspiring magnificence of the creation of a tree (laughs) and says, there must be a God who is great. He has a conversion experience. He gets evangelized by a tree. So he says, I I, I, I just have to give the rest of my life to knowing God. So he does the best thing he knows at the time. He joins a monastery. And in all the, the glorious wisdom of God, he's assigned dish duty in this monastery, which he describes in his books as basically, it's like a prison sentence in his own mind. It's like, great, I gave my life to God and I get assigned the opportunity to clean other men's dirty dishes for most of my waking hours. Woo, glory to God. But God met him in unbelievably powerful ways where he develops and practices what I would essentially say is 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing, meaning just talk to God all day long. He wants to be that personal and powerful and present in your life that that your, your conversation with him never stops. And one quote from his book, there's awesome many ones, but one that stands out for this particular point is, He says at a point, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful while you're doing dishes than that of a continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. This king, full of mercy and goodness, okay, this is happening while he's doing dishes and just talking to God. This king, full of mercy and goodness, embraces me with his love makes me eat at his banqueting table, serves me with his own hands, gives me the key of his treasures. These are all very biblical concepts. I'll give you the verses to all of them if you want it. He converses and delights himself with me incessantly in a thousand and thousand ways and treats me in all respects as his favorite. His favorite? When I read this as a wise 18-year-old, I was a little provoked. How, he, how arrogant, how selfish, how narcissistic that this guy is going to claim to be his favorite. But over the next two decades, as I tried to live into this Brother Lawrence way of life and practice these things, I can honestly say that the... the the way in which the tangible presence of God has encountered us, encountered me in such, such unbelievably, intimately personal ways that now I can relate with what he's saying in the feeling, like, wow, I must be his favorite right now. Now, I know theologically that's not true. There are seven billion plus, seven and a half billion people on the planet, and for so God so loved the whole world that he sent his only son. So his love is equal to all, and he wants to bring all of us into this kind of childlike, intimate relationship with him. But I can honestly say Brother Lawrence is onto something breathtakingly beautiful in that he wants to be so personal and powerful in your life that from your end, maybe not from God's end, but from your end, God is so personal and powerful, it makes you feel like you must be his favorite because it blows your mind with how intimate and personal your prayers 
are answered. And I, that you can take to the bank, I absolutely believe is healthy and biblical. We're going to see it in the Sermon on the Mount, the personal way in which Jesus talks about the Father wanting you to encounter him. But let me give one startling example from our own life and that I've given before, but it's worth giving again. And if you're new, it's a beautiful example. It's a concrete one that in some ways, it's like I don't even know how you could possibly dispute that God is real and powerful and personal. So it was a number of years ago with our oldest son. He had applied to go on a house-building trip to Mexico over his spring break. He had gone the previous year, and it was transformative, still bearing good fruit in his life today. Grew his interest in Spanish, increased appreciation for other cultures and God's love for every tongue, tribe, and nation, specifically expanded his heart for serving others, especially children. But this year in school, or that year, fast forward a year, he had uh, done what many, you know, 17-year-olds do and procrastinated and hadn't turned in his application. And so when he did, he got the bad news. It was full and he couldn't go. So he mulled on his frustration with himself for a year, or sorry, (laughs) for like a week. He mulled on his frustration and, and his disappointment with the situation. And then he came to us a bit exasperated after a lengthy evening conversation on a school night before bed. We were both in there, my wife and I, back and forth. And, and uh, at this point, I was not in the room, and, and my wife felt like she had a specific encouraging word for the Lord, from the Lord for our son. She felt like God was saying, let's pray this. I believe God's saying this to you. What is impossible is possible. What is impossible is possible. Now, that's straight out of the Bible, by the way, so it's not like, you know, prophetic heretic from the Lord. This is, this is a biblical picture. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. What's impossible with man is possible with God. Whew. But that's scary, isn't it, to believe for the impossible? But our son was like, yeah, let's, let's pray that, in a sense, kind of exasperated and desperate. What else can he do at this moment? Everything he had tried was, you know, he, he doesn't have any more strength. It's a good place to be, by the way. That's poor in spirit. Look at that one next week. So they prayed and they declared, the impossible is possible. The impossible is possible. The next morning, my son, who was 17 at the time and driving himself to school, he got himself ready for school. He went outside and got in a little Honda Civic, you know, getting ready to go in that and driving himself to school. But something caught his eye under the windshield of the car. A strange little card had been placed under the windshield at night. He retrieved the card, his eyes went like a laser to this little phrase. Look and put that card up there. Lo imposible es posible. If you're not a Spanish speaker, that means the impossible is possible. It was the exact phrase my wife had declared to him and they prayed together. Additionally, when when he went to that school that day, he received the news that a spot opened up on the trip, and he was now welcomed to be on the team. Lo imposible es posible. (laughs) What makes this occurrence even more odd and special and personal is that this little funky card on the windshield was was a placed advertisement. You know, me of little faith, when I saw that card, I'm like, babe, you put that out there last night? 
You've been holding that little thing in your wallet, huh? Nope. It was on every single car on our street that night, placed as an advertisement. Someone roamed the neighborhood deep at night, put them on the windshields. We had lived in this house for several years, not once received any type of strange little advertisement on our windshield, let alone one that carried the words in Spanish, because he's going to Mexico, that they had declared in prayer the prior night. And by the way, we've lived there another several years and have not received any single advertisement of any kind under our windshield. So one time in seven years, and it's the night that they're trying to get to go to Mexico and live into the impossible as possible. What on earth is that little thing? It's got Jesus on there, which I'm glad about. When our son got home from school that day and we discussed the details of what had occurred, suffice it to say, there was an experience of blessing, joy because of divine favor. There was an experience of blessing that was taking place in our home for all three of us. Divine favor. Joy because of divine favor that was so personal. I mean, how unbelievably, is it too much to say, miraculously personal does God want to be for each and every one of us? That you just might feel like his favorite at times. What if Jesus is saying that the fundamental canvas of our hearts that God wants to paint about who God is is that God is this kind of God, personal, powerful, present in such abundant measure that you would experience joy at the divine favor that makes you feel like you just might be his favorite for for at least this moment. And then he'll get to work with some others. I don't think this is too good to be true. I believe this is exactly how Jesus is presenting God. Who God is and how God wants to be known for each of us. This Sermon on the Mount, these beatitudes, these pronouncements of blessing over and over and over are meant to be a world-shattering reintroduction to God. Remember, the original audience is living under the oppressive hand of the Roman Empire, where they have essentially none of the freedoms and rights that we know today. And Jesus, well aware of that, still announces and pronounces Blessing after blessing after blessing. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the beginning of it. Take joy in the divine favor that God is with you in this way. Take joy in the divine favor that God is for you in this way. Take joy in the divine favor that God is not against you like you thought. Take joy in the divine favor that, and over and over nine times, to start the message of who God is and how God wants to be known. 
man, it's just a prayer now. It's like, Holy Spirit, wash over us. If these blessings could wash over us nine times or 90 times or 9,000 times, could it be possible that these blessings could heal some of the hurts and wounds and lies of life about who God is and set us free into this gospel of the kingdom that is not too good to be true. It feels too good to be true, but it is the good news that Jesus is inviting us to live into. And so let's let our hearts be childlike. Jesus goes after the most fundamental thing about you, the most important thing really about you when it comes to God, which is what's painted on your heart. What do you believe about God? Because he is for you. His heart is blessing after blessing after blessing. I want to pray that simple heart right now. And we're going to have the band come up and we're just going to close with a song that is a prayer. So band, come on up here right now. And the prayer is simple. It's a prayer that we would encounter blessing, that we would experience this heart of God who is for us. And so I want to encourage you to sing this song as a prayer, as a prayer for yourself, as a prayer for your spouse, your kids, your neighbors, the nation, the world, that the world would encounter this blessing heart of God that is the most real thing in the world. And when it becomes real and more real to us, we will be transformed with this gospel. just wanted to add something um, really quickly about our agreement for blessing. So it is true what Casey shared about God's heart for blessing, that it follows us. That's all his heart is for us. And sometimes our perspective in our own experience might feel like the opposite, that we're waking up with a different mindset, that we feel like maybe God's punishing us, or maybe he's not that good, or maybe we have to earn his love. And I want to encourage us, because while it is true that you can't, you're going to have to run away from the blessing, the reality is that your, our agreement empowers the kingdom. So if we are standing in agreement, believing who God is for us, that he is not blessing us, and that we are not his beloved children, then we are, in a sense, cutting off that bridge because our faith, our faith is our agreement. And it pulls on and draws and is like a bridge from earth to heaven to bring a birthing of the kingdom of God. And so I want to encourage us 
to let it sink deep that his desire is blessing, to let it marinate in our hearts. And in those moments when we feel an emotion of fear, of hopelessness, of not feeling that his heart is love for us, let us press in to pursue him and ask him, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Show my heart the goodness of who you are. Like Ephesians 1, give me your spirit, your Holy Spirit of revelation that I may know. And it goes into the depth and the breadth of God's love and of his abundance for us. So I want to encourage us that this is not something that's signed, sealed, delivered, said, and done. And if we're walking in current mindsets of our own experience of God's blessing, feeling like we're cut off, we haven't earned it, or whatever, you fill in the blank for whatever you feel when you don't feel his constant undeserved favor, like Psalm 23 says, pursuing you all the days of your life. And I want to encourage us to repentance, to break those agreements with anything that is not according to his word and what he says about his blessing and his heart for us. Dance a new dance like David.